Welcome to A Good Technologist, a podcast about how innovators are using technology to make our society a better place in Asia and across the world. This podcast is brought to you by Better.sg, a movement to drive tech for good based in Singapore. We believe that collaborations across disciplines and diverse people can help technology drive better social outcomes. My name is Rovek, and I'm your host today. Today's guest is Taymor, the CEO and publisher of Tech for Impact Asia, which helps the developing countries of the Asia-Pacific plan and organize their economic development around sustainable technologies, profiling visionaries, thought leaders, and investors on their platform. Taymor also has extensive experience as a journalist, interviewer, and moderator, having anchored shows across CNBC, Al Jazeera, and the BBC. In this chat, we hear about Tamo's journey and his reflections on the work at Tech for Impact Asia, as well as discuss how the Singapore Tech for Good community can learn from and contribute to what's happening in the region. Tamo, thanks for coming on our show. Nice talking to you, Rovek. Thanks for having me. When I was reading your career history, it was very interesting to see a bit of the contrast between some of your previous roles at big news media outlets and what you're doing at Tech for Impact Asia. There's, of course, some similarity, but I'm, I'm curious to know what drew you to look at this very niche focus area. Well, arguably, the climate question is actually the biggest news story out there, isn't it? I mean, uh, certainly the biggest developing news story probably ever. So the fact that I've chosen to focus on this particular news story exclusively is, you know, it's still, I guess, in many ways, it's still a continuation of my, of my previous work, but in a slightly different form. It's perhaps much more focused in one particular area. You called it niche. I think eventually this is going to be the predominant subject of conversation around. So Mm. in a way, it's it's not that much different. There were a couple of issues that made me think about moving on from what I was doing previously, which was television news, which has its own very distinct identity. I think, firstly, it was a matter of just wanting to do something different. Um, The television industry I've been in for 25 years had you know, maybe reached the end of the road as far as I was concerned in my interest in in the TV business. But also because I looked at the TV industry and, and, and saw it, the news TV industry particularly, struggling a little bit with mm-hmm. digitalization um, in the same way so many other big legacy industries have done, like um, the music industry for a start. I wanted to get involved in digital first thinking, and I looked at the TV industry as being a sort of in the sunset of its existence. So, you know, moving across into something different was one of them. The question of what to move into was really sparked around 10 or 12 years ago. There was um, the COP conference of the time was in Doha, where I was based with Al Jazeera. Uh, And I remember interviewing Christina Figueres, who was at the time the head of the UNFCCC, and really being quite inspired by her energy and her precision and her determination to address this issue, which at the time I had very little idea about. And so I I started looking into the whole process. Uh, And very soon after the conference, there was another very large conference in Doha, the largest, in fact, oil petrochemical conference in the world, uh, at which I listened to leaders of the fossil fuel industry riding roughshod over all comments about sustainability, about the future of oil, uh, and talking instead about how they were going to get new sources of oil from fracking and from tar sands, and that's where all their investment was going. And they really weren't interested in investing in solar panels really? or wind power. It was, it was really shocking to me. This was how many years ago? This was around 2011. I, literally, I mean, I was, I was moderating a panel at this conference with 
four of the heads of the largest global oil companies in the world. I won't name them, but they were all saying, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't think solar energy has a future. We think that we can expand and extend the, the life of oil by going into tar sands uh, and expand fossil fuels by going into fracking. And like I say, so I, I was quite shocked. And, and since that point, I, I just became more and more interested in that whole climate conversation to the point where here we are now. I mean, I, I kind of decided that, in fact, it really was one of the biggest news stories out there and that I really needed to be part of it. Wow. OK, that sounds like a really exciting journey. And I think right now we're seeing, I hope, uh, not the peak, but really a much more exciting space around sustainability, around climate change or climate activism. And it's not just Tech for Impact Asia, right? You have groups all around Singapore and all around the region starting to, to take action to to address the climate crisis. It's really inspiring, isn't it, to see the amount of energy and involvement that is now suddenly sprung up everywhere. You know, I gave a short description of Tech for Impact Asia, but I feel like you'd be able to do a much better job about describing it. How would you describe what Tech for Impact Asia does and how it works towards some of the goals that you've just described? The past 10 years has been really quite remarkable in the changes that we have seen in this very conversation. From the point I was talking about, 10 years ago with the oil industry to where we are now. And in the past literally 12 months to 18 months, the public mood, the political mood, the general understanding and awareness of the problem is, is just light years away from what it was then. Back then, you know, if, if, I, can, if I can use a, a very simple um, analogy of surfing, if you're standing on a surfboard before the wave arrives and you can feel there's a movement, you can feel there is swell, and then what happens is the swell comes under you, and before you know it, you're on the crest of a wave. And the, those two experiences are extremely different. And I, I think I've moved from the point where I was just sitting on the surfboard, feeling the water move underneath me, to the point where I'm now standing on the surfboard uh, thinking, holy X, you know, what is, what is going on here? I don't know if I can stand up. Um, and, and, <laughs> and that's where I am. Because, you know, Tech for Impact, when we began brainstorming it at the ADB, two or three years ago, began as a, a very different sort of set of ideas and eventually evolved into a simple process of saying, okay, we know this wave is coming. How can we begin to create something that, that is valuable and adds value to the growing conversation and to the growing awareness? Now, you know, we wanted it to be a nonprofit operation. So there wasn't a business model built in. There wasn't a, a commercial imperative to all of this. And we thought, okay, within the context of the Asian Development Bank and the work that it does in Asia's developing countries, and within the context of the understanding that Asia is the fastest growing part of the planet, uh, and within the next 20 to 50 years, Asia will be the predominant economic entity within the planet. If we don't begin to talk about sustainability in that development path, then, you know, really the earth is cooked, as it were. So we thought, okay, how, how, can we, how can we contribute to making the Asian developing countries, whether it be the governments in those countries, the entrepreneurs in those countries, the existing businesses in those countries, or indeed some of the population of those countries, how can we begin to make them more aware of the existence of solutions, sustainable solutions that would solve both their problem as they develop businesses, but also the problems of climate change? So, you know, we started off with the idea that, well, content would seem to be a good place to start, telling stories about solutions that have worked, that have value, uh, that can achieve both of those goals that we want to achieve. We'll tell those stories, 
get them more widely talked about. The second stage of the operation, which we uh, are beginning to address now, is once we're beginning to uh, um, develop the awareness and develop the interest, how then do we develop action? How can we drive those people who have shown an interest into doing something meaningful? Uh, and part of that is to try and create greater dialogue, greater uh, engagement, and greater knowledge sharing around the solutions that we have discovered and we're, we're trying to promote. So if we can get people saying, okay, I see the solution, I see uh, a context in which that solution is applicable in any one of the Asian development countries, I know that the ADB and some of the private sector people that we operate with have got uh, expertise and ability to help us develop those solutions, how can we bring all those parties together and get them working together to implement action? I really enjoyed that surfing analogy only because I've never actually gone surfing before. So I felt like you kind of brought me on that experience a bit. But I, I agree with you. I think right now there seems to be quite a number of Asian innovators using all sorts of technologies to alleviate and address social issues. Tech for Impact Asia's website really does a good job of collating that content, as you mentioned, to really build that awareness. Topics from waste management to healthcare. What has been your reflection on how technology is being used in Asia? Is it the same as, I guess, what people think of as the modern West? Or is there something different that's happening in this part of the world? The biggest problem that I have, and I think the biggest problem that all of us in this space have got right now, is that the movement is now picking up speed so fast. And the number of opportunities, the number of involved parties, the number of stakeholders, the number of activities, the number of solutions, the number of ideas, I mean, it's, it's so vast that just keeping on top of the whole thing is, is an incredible challenge. Uh, and one of the things that I think I and Tech for Impact are going to have to do is try and become even more niche because there's just too much scope and too much breadth of information and data out there to be able to cover the whole thing. I guess that's a fairly roundabout way of answering your question by saying, I don't really know. I'm not really keen to commit to anything particularly concrete at this point in time because I just see things changing so rapidly. I think the real question we need to be asking ourselves is, how can we build in a mindset of agility, uh, of constant awareness, uh, of receptiveness to other people's ideas, and practically speaking, openness to collaborating with other people such that we can really begin to leverage off everyone's experiences here and not just say, okay, how can I benefit from this? I'm also aware that you recently moderated a panel at the Tech for Good Institute's launch event. And that was talking a bit around the platform economy in specific, the impact that it's had in terms of creating job opportunities and driving infrastructure investment. So that's a lot of growth potential, but at the same time, in that same conversation, there were concerns that growth was not going to be fairly distributed. And I think even when it comes to conversations on climate change and the climate crisis, I think there are concerns that actually that in itself affects people differently. Uh, people who are in more rural parts or who may not have access to certain kinds of infrastructure will be disproportionately affected in terms of the impact of, of climate change. And so... I'm interested on how Tech for Impact Asia is trying to bring together stakeholders, not just within each country, but across the Asian region to really ensure inclusive growth and sustainable growth in this part of the world. The world of news is, is a moment-by-moment -moment snapshot of what's going on. People like to call it the first draft of history, but it is by definition an attempt to write down the picture as you see it at this moment in time. One of the challenges with climate change and the, the pace of change that we've been talking about is that 
Having snapshot approaches to making decisions and to getting things done is, again, by definition, a very restrictive state of mind to be in. What I liked about the Grab Tech for Good Institute and the initiative that Grab have put together, and the fact that they've separated the Institute away from Grab, which hopefully to an extent will separate the vision from the practicality of Grab's commercial business. What I liked about the fact is that they're they're actually trying to do research. They're acknowledging that what we are living through right now is an ever-changing process. And we need research. We need consistent ongoing dialogue. We need consistent ongoing capacity building and training and resources such that we continue to grow as quickly as we can. So this idea of agility and consistent awareness of changing circumstances is vital in a place like Asia, because you, you, know, you have economies here that range from Singapore, which is at the far end of the well-developed spectrum, down to places like rural Myanmar or Laos, which are utterly different states uh, of being when it comes to economics and development. And how can you bring all those parties to the table and get them involved in conversations uh, in the same way? It's, it's a question that I really don't have an answer to, but the idea that I have and the reason why in many ways you and I became in, involved in conversation is because we need to simply put in place the capacity to make those dialogues happen that are appropriate for all the parties involved. The mindset is the key. I do think you are bringing up a very important point, which is that it can't be a one-size-fits-all, right? So I think especially when anyone in the region is trying to develop a solution for the whole of Asia or if they're so called the whole of the world, and they want to really look at it from an inclusive angle, then you need to take the care and effort to understand some of the peculiarities, some of the local or maybe regional issues that need to be addressed in order to drive better inclusion, right? And I think that's a it's a big starting point because especially here in Singapore and just tying it back to better.sg, we tend to think that whatever we develop here can easily address needs in the rest of the region, right? But that's not necessarily true. And I think that's a big reason why I was interested to talk to you, right? Better.sg admittedly has a national focus, but we should be able to learn from lessons around Asia and should be able to think bigger than Singapore when we think of what we built because there's so much potential for impact. I guess there is, a, in a way, a, a modest precedent to all these problems, and, and that is the European Union. The, the apparently conflicting aims of something like a, a meta-institutional approach to regional issues versus uh, recognition of local and particular requirements and understandings and behaviours has been a con constant conflict everywhere. I I'm, a, I'm a big believer in projects like ASEAN and in projects like the EU, because I think at some point, as we become this global community, as we have evolved into this global community, there is a necessity to understand that some problems transcend boundaries, some problems cross borders and involve people in ways that don't involve nationality or culture at all. But having said that, obviously, product market fit at a very, very local level is also a key element to, to, to actually getting things done. Things like the World Economic Forum, these grand, all-encompassing bodies with solutions and great think tank policy approaches and high-level discussions of, of esoteric ideas, I think we have enough of those now. And I think uh, there will be some value in the smaller, on-the-ground institutions operating at a, at a very local level who can engage with real people and check out real uh, local problems and craft solutions that are appropriate to a time and place 
rather than just generic solutions that uh, were cooked up in, in developed countries. Tech for Impact Asia and Better SG have a lot of similar goals, but we maybe have different focus areas, right? So Better.SG focuses on national level tech for good projects and Tech for Impact Asia is maybe a bit more upstream in terms of awareness building and really driving some of the cross stakeholder relationships at an Asia level, right? A pan-Asian level. So I'm, I'm curious, based on, on that kind of difference, but also diversity. What are your suggestions or ideas that you'd like to proliferate within the Better.SG community? Singapore has tech to die for and is well, well advanced, way ahead of anywhere that I am in terms of understanding how to use it and how to deploy it. There is plenty more room for growth is to begin to consider the local conditions around them amongst those people that are not as developed as they are and think about how how some of this stuff works. I mean, we, we've got some really good little tech solutions in Singapore uh, that are being investigated in the agri-tech space, lots of little urban farming initiatives that are going on. I think I think those are fascinating little solutions that can be uh, deployable and applicable to lots of different situations around Asia. The experiments that Singapore is doing with floating solar uh, are really a- applicable to a, a large part of Asia because it's, there's so much ocean, so much of the South Pacific has vast resources when it comes to open space where they can deploy floating solar. Singapore's expertise, uh, I think, not only applies to doing those high-level technology things, but also just the mere understanding of the bigger problems. Expressing the problems in terms of understanding the local context and understanding that one cannot just go in there and dictate terms it is, is actually, sounds pretty simplistic, but I think it's something that is a, a valuable check uh, on attitude and behavior. It's a very good directional kind of shift to even suggest, right? Because when we think about what we build, we tend to be very hyper-local. And I guess that makes sense to some extent, but especially when you're in the scale-up stage, let's say you've gotten a product, you've validated it, and you see the potential for impact to the larger region. I think one thing that personally I'm trying to encourage and I'm trying to also suggest to other folks in the community is that actually maybe it is worth thinking but plugging into and contributing to the larger regional ecosystem. And I think that's the whole point of this podcast is to bring some of these big ideas in, especially for those in the tech for good space to think a bit differently around how they build and how they even scale up some of their products uh, to, to address needs. But Timo, before we close off the chat, we always like to ask our guests some fun questions. The first one is, what is the most exciting Asian tech innovation that has caught your attention? There's, a, there's so many initiatives that I like. And we've just done a story on EcoBlocks where they're using recycled plastic to build shelters in Lombok. After the earthquake, they, they build, they're in rebuilding schools. It's a, a technology out of Northern Europe and really, really simple, recycling plastic into bricks basically and using those bricks to build a school or a house in two or three days. That, you know, I think that's a really simple approach to, to addressing some of the really local needs that come up out of this. Is it going to have a massive impact on the climate sustainability story? No, probably not. The innovation space has exploded around here. There are so many interesting people doing interesting things. You only have to go to the ADB website and there's a challenge page where every two or three weeks, the ADB is putting up challenges saying, okay, we need to solve this problem in this environment. Give us your ideas. Uh, And people are writing in and and pictures are being made and, and new projects are being started. It's, it's that whole process of getting involved and taking action that is really springing up that I find inspiring. 
That's awesome. Yeah, that, that sounds very exciting. Maybe we'll bring it down a bit smaller. What is the favorite app that you currently have on your phone? <laughs> this is this is where I, I keep my, my feet in my old business. I'm I'm addicted to Twitter. Nothing nothing high tech. <laughs> nothing high tech, nothing fancy, nothing uh, even to do with sustainability, but I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Spoken like a true journalist. And this is a question we ask everyone. In one word, what is the future of tech? I don't think there is a word. The future is the future is tech. Well, that's a good answer. <laughs> this is where we are as a species. This is this is what we do. This is a non-stop train that's steaming ahead into into the darkness. And at some point, we're going to either emerge from the tunnel into a bright new world of light and and technology-driven wonderfulness, or we're going to crash into something and, and destroy ourselves with this tech obsession. That brings us to the end of the interview, Timo. Thank you so much for for coming on and sharing. Really, I think it challenging us actually to think differently about how we, we look at development in the region, look at the potential for tech, and most importantly, how to think differently about how we work, right? Really being agile, collaborating, and being bold with some of our solutions. And hopefully the Better SG community also takes that as a call to action to look beyond Singapore to see if they've already scaled up a product, whether they can continue impacting, you know, our fellow people in the region, right? And I think there's a lot of impact that we can make there as well. So once again, thank you so much for coming here. You're welcome, Robert. I, I'm, I enjoy chatting with you and I'll enjoy engaging with, with the better lost SG audiences as we go forward. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Good Technologists. If you like what we are doing, you can always find out more on our website, better.sg, and subscribe to the podcast via your typical channels such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. This podcast was produced and edited by myself, Rovek Robert, and our email address is goodtech at better.sg. Please let us know what you think. Think.